Shrinkwrap Radio number 788, Richard Hill and Matthew Dollitz, on the Practitioner's Guide to the Science of Psychotherapy. And now it's time for Dr. Dave and Shrinkwrap Radio. psychology you need to know when just enough to make it dangerous it's all in your head and now here's your host dr dave the 21st century psychologists can no longer be constrained by specific schools of practice or limited reservoirs of knowledge but this new era of information needs to be integrated and made manageable for every practitioner. This need is addressed by my guests today, Richard Hill and Matthew Dollitz, in their 2022 book, The Practitioner's Guide to the Science of Psychotherapy. Richard Hill and Matthew Dollitz, welcome back to Shrinkwrap Radio. Hey, Dr. Dave. Yes, Dr. Dave, it's fantastic, and welcome and being welcome back is a lovely thing, and uh, we, we 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 see you all the time. Uh, we're always we're always catching your your podcasts and learning a lot from you. It's absolutely fabulous. Yeah, absolutely. well, likewise, likewise. I've been uh, stealing some of your guests after you've <laughs> interviewed them. And oh, we've got commission. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've been stealing some of yours too. So there you yeah, go. yeah, probably, maybe so. Yeah. Maybe so. I, I know uh, Richard's been a good commenter, and I always appreciate that. He lets me know that at least he's seen that I've announced it on Facebook, <laughs> yes. which is great. Uh, yeah. so it's, it's nice to know that I'm I'm being held in your thoughts. Well, yeah. we have a, a you know I should let our listeners and viewers know that. Uh, we have a long-time relationship, of one of mutual support. Uh, mm. Early on, Matthew and I agreed to kind of go to a non-legal kind of uh, contract with one another, and um, and then Richard came along and and helped upgrade your platform in a, in a great way there uh, to uh, realize your vision, Matthew. That that you and now it's a shared vision between the two of you. And it's been really remarkable, you know. The the uh, you guys have created a, what not so much a website as a portal, mm. <laughs> as a doorway that people can go in and then discover just a ton of of uh, learning resources. And since I'm talking about the portal, it is called the Science of Psychotherapy. If anybody wants to find it, <laughs> you're gonna want to find mm-hmm. it after you hear this interview. Yeah. So um, moving along, I want to con- congratulate you both on this, uh, gr- what I think is a groundbreaking book, The Practitioner's Guide to the Science of Psychotherapy. 
And so let me start off with a routine kind of question. What did you set out to do in this book? What was the initial idea here? Matt, the, initial, go the, for the, the impetus. Well, it's kind of an extension of this portal you were just talking about, the, the science of psychotherapy, the, the platform, which was the neuropsychotherapist right. um, until a few yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, exactly as you described, you know, we were creating a platform that was introducing people to a whole array of ideas, disciplines, you know, different aspects of, of psychotherapy and mental health in general, and, and actually what we're now calling the science of us. You know, it's it's very it's very broad, and um, and I guess. But, but uh, you, so you don't mean the science of you and Richard? You mean something? <laughs> than that? The, the, we the we extended beyond that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. We're pretty good models of that, but yes, no, yeah. the science of everybody. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, yeah, we um, we were approached by Norton uh, to to write a book, uh, which I guess is a a, a good a reference. Oh, point. yeah, here, here, you know, they are the uh, premier publisher, I think, in, uh, in mm. psychotherapy these days. Yeah, we were pretty stoked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. That's, that's really a big compliment. I, I know you've, you've uh, been having a relationship, I think, with them for, for some time, but that's really great to get that invitation. Yes, and we have had a long-standing relationship with Norton. They've been fantastic. I mean, in terms of interpersonal neurobiology, their series, uh, we've garnered a lot from from them, and we've been able to interview and promote uh, so many excellent authors from yes. their platform. Yeah, mm. yeah, me too. Yeah. So, so we've been we've been learning all this for a long time, and this has been the mm. the beauty of it, uh, Dave. Uh, Dave, we 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 needed to put it out in a framework that people could grasp because, as you say, when you go into the, the web portal, in fact, we did something the other day just because a couple of people, uh, you know, a few of our members said, you know, what do we get? I mean, we see these mm. lovely things, a lovely page. So we actually listed everything. Uh, you know, one, and it, it takes you a couple of minutes to scroll through. It's, yeah. it, it really is like entering the TARDIS. So we were actually starting to become the thing that concerned us was that massive bookshelf that you that, that just is, is too overwhelming to yeah. um, to engage with. So the purpose of this book is to bring things down into a graspable uh, framework, but showing that we're no longer dealing with we aren't dealing with a topic within uh, within the framework and saying this is the one you should be looking at. We're actually trying to be the umbrella uh, mm. that says, "Come in here, and uh, and everything uh, needs to be at your fingertips." But first of all, you need to know about what what you're doing. So it's like a compilation music album where there's a whole bunch of different styles of music, and what we're saying is these are all music. Which ones do you resonate? Which ones do you do? Which ones do you know about? Yeah. Which ones have you never heard of? Because mm. uh, uh, even we found as we went through the through the book, sometimes uh, things came up and we thought, oh, wow, we, I've never thought of that. And so yeah. those sort of things. So it's pretty up to date in our thinking. Yeah. And look, so, having said so that who's too. Who's your target audience for this book? Oh, uh, well, Go mental, me mental health professionals, um, primarily. I mean, they're, they're our you know main 
readership of the science of psychotherapy. So we're aiming for mental health professionals, but you know, anyone is interested in, you know, the science of uh, humanity would be interested in this yeah. book. Well, we, I'm not. We, yeah. we, I just said we did have an interesting review. Actually, we have someone who does reviews for the science of psychotherapy, but she's enormously independent, and I, with great trepidation. I kind of sent her the book because she says what she thinks. There's no uh, Gunnell Minute in, in, in the UK. And she came and she did love the book, so hooray. <laughs> a few. <laughs> that was but, great uh, of you. She also included medical professionals. Mm. She was saying because we cover the, this in, the <laughs> biology and the psychopathologies and the internal natures of it, She's that medical professionals who deal with mental health, uh, of of which this is often the first port of call. So she included those in our audience as well. Yeah, and it makes sense to me. It does. And um, I think you guys are uh, courageous in a way to sort of plant the flag. It takes some courage to say the science of psychotherapy. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if anybody's ever... Hammer yes. on you for that or not? Let's talk about this word science. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, exactly. Uh, so, um, you know, neither Richard nor I, you know, have a like a mechanical view of biology. Biology is not like a machine. Um, we are not reductionistic. Um, but what we are on about in terms of science is, as Richard said, knowing about a lot of different mechanisms of different parts, but we always bring those parts back into the whole. You know, we have to be able to have this stance of standing back and seeing the whole, uh, of, of seeing everything in context. Um, but that's not to say that uh, we shouldn't know, you know, about the parts, but yeah. it's not a reductionistic uh, thinking. Well, you and, guys and, might have pla might have planted a pole, you know, like yeah. a, like a new continent <laughs> discovered you or a, a high mountain, and you've planted the flag, saying, "Hey, there is a science of psychotherapy." And and we really go back because one of the things I, I'm a, linguistics is my my first degree, and then before that I was a uh, a writer and an entertainer and singer. So language has always been terribly important. My mother was a writer. Uh, her mother was a writer before that. You know, my daughter's a writer. And people say, where did you get it from? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but but these we have these words that get um, uh, that get sort of, I think they get ruined uh, in, in cultural use. I mean, uh, we talk about one of my favourite ones in the book, which is the word responsibility, which has become a word for fault, you know, who's at fault and who's to blame and who has to pay mm -hmm. for this. But it actually means responsibility is how, what is your ability to respond? Yeah. And your ability to respond is directly related to what you know and your knowledge and your experience and your, uh, uh, your expertise. So science is one of those words. And really, when you go back and you go through history, you go back through the Greeks and you go back through that time, it wasn't this, as Matt's saying, this reductionistic, minimalistic, um, highly objective, uh, reproducible uh, in, in the most difficult of circumstances uh, context. The science, the word science just means the knowledge of. That's all it means. Uh, cool. And you can... <laughs> And you mm -hmm. discover that knowledge, mm -hmm. uh, and we talk about this in, in one of the, the later chapters, in, uh, with curiosity. And, but it's not just curiosity for 
you know, getting information and, and doing experiments and finding them. The knowledge also comes from play. Knowledge also comes from unregulated exploration yeah. of the possibilities. Right. And uh, this is forgotten that, that an enormous amount of our scientific knowledge, the knowledge of knowledge, has come from people who serendipitously, the, they made a mistake. Right. You know, penic right. Penicillin, you know, he was just not very good at looking after his, his lab and ended up growing mold all over his petri dishes. And oh, there's something interesting. And thank God he wasn't a reductionist scientist yeah. and he was a person looking yeah, for knowledge. Yeah, that's not how it's typically Fantastic. taught to undergraduate science, you know, is a, yeah. a much more narrow, as you say, reductionist approach. Mm. And I, yeah. I like yeah. yours that includes play and and accident and synchronicity and who knows what else. Mm. Um, and, and finding that humanistic relationship. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. A relationship, being relational in terms of, you know, what we're talking about is very important too, because there is a reductionist and mechanistic, as I was saying before, mechanistic view where, you know, it's kind of like, well, we're kind of like a machine. Well, not really. If you, a machine you can turn off and it can sit there and then you can turn it back on and it'll live again. You turn us off for any length of time and you'll have a hard trouble turning us back on yeah that we're very unmachine like yeah well to underscore that is uh, your book begins with a focus on the client's capacities mm. so tell us a bit about that oh, it doesn't yes, start it, with i'm a therapist <laughs> and i have all the knowledge i'm the, the, the science of psychotherapy you start yeah. off talking about the client's capacities and our theme through the whole book, and we, we discuss that, and Matt, you can do the three points in a sec. I'll just talk about the client client capacities and client resources. Uh, so we, we try to go back to not just one source that, that, that you know, was validating one of our opinions. We try and find a, a few sources. And, but what's interesting is this growing understanding of the fact that what the client brings to the therapy room uh, is important. Uh, you know, we, we go back to the some of the psychodynamic and psychoanalytical uh, frameworks where really there was just sort of that transference, counter-transference thing. Then we went to behaviorism where you just sort of uh, uh, just alter their behaviors and then there'll be a cascading effect and they get better. And then we really didn't enter the, the, the or re-enter humanism because we had a lot of that back in uh, uh, certainly in the Greek periods and a, a few others in the Reformation and, and things. But humanism came back into strengths in the mid-50s. And then, of course, Carl Rogers with person-centered. And we're actually saying, let's, let's go a little bit further. Why isn't the client actually not just client resources, but the client is the source of both the problem and, to some extent, the solution? So what was really interesting, we, we've got um, uh, S.A. and Lambert, uh, we talk about their work, saying the client resources are, you know, around 40-odd percent of the of the experience. But then later on in the, uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was some, some additional work by, um, oh, it's, it's, it's in the book, it's really good, go get the book, but <laughs> saying that the client resources are as much as 87 percent of the therapeutic uh, uh, effectiveness. Mm. And then that 13% is all the other stuff, the relationship, the methods you use, uh, the skill of the therapist. So when you boil that all down in a linear way, and this is something that's very important because that's not the way we should think, but in a linear way, it looks like 
in that framework that the therapist is only worth, worth about 5% of the, of the whole experience. So what's uh, the point of a therapist then? I, I've not but, heard that before. But yeah. you, you guys, uh, you know, many clients come in looking for a magic bullet. That's their expectation. And you make the point, you, the educational point with your clients, that it's a co-created experience. Yeah. And that's, that's right. the beauty of it, because why is the client why is the why can the therapist be comfortable being a smaller part of the experience? Because in a complex system, small inputs can have enormous effects. They can have very large effects, small changes to the initial conditions. Yeah. And we run through in that very first chapter how to think in systems, how to think in ways that that take you away from just this cause effect. I do a therapy, I get a result. As in, I put something in to the client, enormous set of resources, and a whole cascade of activity occurs. And, uh, and then from that emerges the client resolution and uh, healing. Yeah. Yeah. It's this complex system idea that everything relates to everything else and affects everything. In, in a, and, you know, you'd be familiar with the butterfly effect, you know, so yeah, the, yeah. The, um, and, and so we've got these three, we've got these three sort of pillars, you know, the, the client comes with the resources into the therapy room. It's a co-created experience between the therapist and the client. And this is a complex system and the results are not uh, a linear sort of output. And if I can just, give a little bit of a, a story. I know Richard has one. I've got one very similar where um, I had a client um, and I, I can't even remember what the problem was now, but uh, it was, it, the client came with a problem that wanted to be resolved and, and we had a good long chat. Um, he comes to the follow-up session and he has amazing transformational experience. And so, you know, I'm thinking, what wonderful thing did I do to, yeah, you know, yeah. create this transformational experience? Right. And um, as we're talking, he said, "Oh, you know, no, you were, you were great. It's just, uh, you know, at the beginning of the session, we were, you know, just doing some light chit chat and talking about uh, something uh, totally removed from his situation. And um, I believe we were talking about something to do with uh, fishing." And but there was something in that that was metaphorical for him and was a picture of where he was at. And that's what he grabbed hold of. It's what he remembered after the session. None of my great, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, the things that I was doing in the session. And so he came back and he explained how this metaphor, um, just in our initial chit chat, was the thing that absolutely turned him around yeah and and so that's an example of this non-linear that, that's not to say that you know as therapists it's all very random and you know what we do is uh you know not not significant uh but it does oh. illustrate yeah absolutely so so every every uh, line has to be thrown into the into the pond and you need to be uh, you need to be attuned. You need to be attuning to how the th the client, what the client resources are uh, being highlighted, and what the uh, what the client is uh, is leading us towards in helping them. Uh, and sometimes, if we have a, a standard uh, prepared, uh, uh, or even if we have three or four uh, therapeutic methodologies in our in our our kit and we bring them forward even when we adapt them a little bit it can be quite surprising and in the introduction to the book we start off with a case study that 
you can treat entirely from an affective point of view, from a behavioral point of view, and from a traumatic uh, recovery point of view. And interestingly, at the end of the introduction, uh, we point out something quite surprising. Uh, and so you'll have to wait till you read the book. Okay, <laughs> but, that's, uh, a good, that's a good plug for the book. Yeah. It, it must have been uh, a real uh, challenge to organize this book. Just to step back a little, I mean, you're talking about a whole, there are all kinds of therapies out there. There are all kinds of breakthroughs in neuroscience. There are all kinds of theories that people have about what works and what doesn't. Um, how in the world did you guys, you must have had a little bit of arm wrestling or something to figure out what goes in, what stays out. Man, well, we, how, the hell, how the hell do we yeah. do this? <laughs> we, a lot of a lot of the um, organizing had already been done by our years of working, you know, with the neuropsychotherapist and then the science of psychotherapy. So we had a good, uh, I guess, pool of of resources to draw from to put into the book. Yeah, well, there was a bit of back and forth on how to organize it. Yeah, I would um, say so. But we had no lack of material, actually. We oh. could, you know, have a series of these books and still wouldn't exhaust what we have. Richard was saying, you know, we're, we're trying to explain to our people at the Science of Psychotherapy just what do they get as part of their subscription. So I was detailing uh, in a Word document. Uh, I had to make a list of everything that's there. It ended up uh, 7,500 words. It was uh, 24 pages long. Oh my God. Um, oh, wow. And, and and I was I was discovering stuff myself that I didn't realize was in the depths of of um, of our, uh, our our pot of resources. So there was no lack of material to draw from to put into the book. Um, but yeah, to organize it in a in a logical way, yeah, um, yeah it took a little bit. Yeah, we well, just you, went. Through, it was like it was like it was a mechanic working through the engine. We just sort of went to the outside bits and then that bit over there and that bit over there. But but we also stood on the shoulders of some uh, some pretty wonderful giants. Uh, right. I know my mentor, Ernest Rossi, uh, you know, all his work mm. in genetics and uh, and mind-to-body work. And then we had, uh, uh, and they go through the book and we actually give a whole chapter to experts to show our recognition uh, of their particular practice and their particular contribution. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you do start off with the brain. You know, and and um, and we're not just uh, the brain is not just a, the sealed thing in our head here, but we also have bodies. And and so, um, what are the main points that you want a mental health professional to take away from that first chapter on the brain? Because the brain is such a complex organ. And, yeah, uh, that's a pretty yeah. good first thing to take away. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think Lake a, yeah. a number of a number of years ago, I I wrote uh, the psychotherapist's essential guide to the brain, which was uh, just giving therapists a, a sort of an overview, uh, a, a very surface level overview of all of the components uh, involved in this, uh, you know, this thing that they uh, they work with on a day to day basis uh, in themselves and in their clients, and so. Just taking that just another step further in this book, we just wanted to just sort of lay out the terrain, really. Now yeah. we're not we're, we're not you know uh, experts in any of these areas. If you ask me to, you know, draw a really detailed explanation of every area of the brain and what it, I'd be 
I would be lost. I mean, I need a reference book like the one we've just written uh, to to refer back to because yeah. that's because that's not my that's not my uh, field per se. What but, I need to do is to know a, about. I need to know the terrain. You guys and, did yeah. uh, uh, pull out some interesting markers, certainly that I could resonate with, and among them, the three that's jumped out at me where you speak about the gut brain axis which mm -hmm. is this new understanding of just how important our gut is. You talk about the vagus nerve. That's a whole nother uh, relatively recent explosion around our understanding of this other kind of nervous system, piece of the nervous system. And you talk about trauma. So you, you kind of pull out some areas like that to kind of focus people in on the brain. Yeah, there's a really interesting just sort of bit of an analogy, a bit of a, a humanistic analogy, uh, just coming from music. We're Matt and I are both musicians, so we 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 pull the, these ideas out. We notice these things. But Paul McCartney was uh, uh, in an interview, uh, not the amazing Get Back uh, uh, show, but uh, another one, and he was just talking about creating his music, creating his songs, and he said, is, is he, and he played a chord. Uh, and then he played another chord and then he played another chord and then he came back to the original chord. So they've all got three, four notes in them. And then he played that and all together, he's just sort of, there's a bunch of things in there. And he said, yeah, but you should see this, see this first note of the chord. And he played it with his thumb and he said, that's where I went off there. And then the second note of the chord, what I used that in the next part of the melody was it went there. And then the third and his third finger played another note. And so what he was saying is because I have, I started to look at the individual elements within the whole. I started to see individually creative uh, aspects. And it's amazing how this goes back to Lorenz, who was talking when he was talking about um, chaos, chaos theory and uh, talking about differentiation in, uh, in, science, in mathematics. And he said, when you differentiate the elements because the final emergent property is almost unrecognizable to the elements. But when you differentiate the elements, you are able to investigate their unseen potential and possibility. Then when you put them back into the system, the system becomes enriched and enlivened and more possible. And possibility is what we deal with as therapists. Mm -hmm. uh, because, I mean, if people knew what, what to do, they wouldn't be in therapy. Uh, so it's finding what we don't know is what we're doing an awful lot. So let's yeah. find out about the elements within. And to have a, a another analogy to, you know, that leans on music as well, you know, we often, we talk about jazz and being able to improvise. Yeah. And the, the jazz musician, you know, knows how to play all the scales, can play classical music, can play, you know, a whole, a whole range of things. And he sort of knows all of these uh, areas, um, and that allows the jazz musician then to be able to improvise very, very well. Uh, yeah. So it's it's a spontaneous uh, creation, but there is a foundation there. And yeah, it's misleading because it, the the jazz musician makes it look easy, and mm -hmm. that is totally improvisational. But there's all this theory underneath it uh, yeah. that most that of them have had to study. Water. Yeah, yeah, had, yeah. There's, had to there's, study to get that into their into their body to mm. body and brain to the point where they can play with it. Going back mm. to, to what you had to say about play. Uh, your next chapter is on molecules. And, I, and speaking of, of uh, 
of of uh, blocking on our book publisher. Um, Norton. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Oh, <laughs> those guys. How, yeah. could, how yeah. could I block <laughs> on them? I recently interviewed one of their another one of their authors, uh, Sarah Manning Peskin, about her oh, book, yes. A Molecule Away from Madness. Yeah. And certainly that underscores the importance of, of a molecule that uh, it can, you know, uh, one little uh, blip on the molecule can make a big difference. Um, what key takeaways come away as you think about that chapter about molecules for your reader? You know, let's say I'm a mental health person and uh, uh, why do I need to know about molecules? Ah. This is really good. This is this, uh, this was a lot of the work that um, Ernest Rossi flogged me into. No, he didn't. He 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 guided me into to learning. I I do remember when he said, um, Richard, you're quite good at neuroscience, but um, do you know about genes? You know genetics, and uh, so off we would go. But there are a few things that are that are broadly uh, relatable about this. And one of the most important ones that I, I say to therapists saying, well, well, what does it matter? Is that we actually think in probably half seconds or a second. It takes us about a half a second or a second to think something and for it to be consciously aware. And so our, our cognitive processes are, uh, are really, in compared to molecules, quite slow. At the molecular level, at that genetic level, at that hormonal level, it operates in milliseconds. And, and, and so what happened is when we get a conscious realisation, there's potentially been thousands of molecular interactions that are, that are going on. And the cognitive expression is, and this is what's interesting, is our conscious awareness has evolved to the to a degree where we become aware only to the, the to what is necessary for stimulating us to take an action. So, for example, three times a day, you get this extraordinary sudden urge uh, to eat something, and you say, "I'm hungry," but you don't know what for. You don't know whether it's for B6 or folate or, or B12 or, or or protein or carbohydrate. You just go to the fridge. You just keep shoving food in the in the in the cake hole until there's another system which says we have enough now. Um, and of course, this leads to to other interesting issues when you're working with eating disorders and eating issues, where you have. So, what are the drives to go to the fridge and start eating? What's in the fridge and when what's in the fridge? I mean, did you know we have only 20 amino acids or amino acids uh, that construct our proteins? And of those 20 amino acids, 10 of them are within our body. Uh, we make them within the body. But 10 of them absolutely have to come from the outside and go in. And so malnutrition partly is related to these amino acids, because if you don't have the amino acids, you can't make the proteins, and the proteins are what make us. Uh, they make our thoughts. Uh, memories are created by gene expression, creating proteins that create synapses, that create connections, that create relationships and associations, that create healthy minds, and also create unhealthy minds. So knowing about that process can lead you to look at someone and say, oh my gosh, you're not doing 
there, there's some gene expert. You're not get, you're not making proteins. Why aren't you making proteins? You look at a few things. Maybe they've got an MTHFR uh, 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 problem. Maybe they've got this methyl group manufacturing process. Uh, oh my goodness, what on earth is that? Well, read the book. It'll tell you and break <laughs> it down. But that can give you an indication as a therapist. I need to give you a few suggestions of foods you need to eat, or it would be really good for you to go along to a nutritionist or perhaps a, a, a naturopath or some other expert who is, is, has got some understanding in that. And uh, that's the sort of thing. The person mm. sitting in front of you brings all these resources and brings all this information, but can you see it? And if you don't know, you won't see it. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so for myself, who I've had, you know, some personal experience with methylation issues, and so I'm aware of some of the, you know, the signs and the symptoms. And so, um, there's been more than a few times when I've queried, uh, you know, th- uh, people that have manifest s- similar, you know, symptoms, you know, a- a- about, you know, what what could possibly, you know, be an underlying, you know, genetic uh, mover in terms of their symptomatology. And sometimes, you know, I hit the mark, sometimes I don't, but um, it's, it's, you know, I can always refer them to a specialist who can test for such things. And so if I didn't know about, uh, you know, these mechanisms, then I would be oblivious. And I think it's just uh, something, you know, a, a mental issue rather than a, a genetic issue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, your next chapter is on... Um disorders just a tiny topic there <laughs> yes how do you talk yeah, we, we about talk. disorders without reinventing the uh the uh statistical manual you know yeah. the dsm and, and we and that was one of the things we, we were we were thinking they've this idea that we've got the ds the dsm type of approach to disorders mm-hmm. then we've got a lot of therapists saying well yeah but that isn't really what happens in the room. You know, people are a lot more complex than that, which, of course, we've addressed already with com- thinking in complex systems. So we tried to, f- to form a bit of a bridge between that. And then at the beginning of some of the disorder uh, uh, sections, or there's about 10, eight chapters, uh, sections within the chapter there, we do bring in literally the DSM. We say, this is the way this disorder is, is formally recognised. Yeah. But then we will go off and say, and this is how it's experienced. Uh, and then here are some of the ways in which you can utilise both those bits of information. As you say, if you know about, you can then become creative. And that's the trouble. People say, here's the DSM, here's the thing, tick boxes. I, I, I had this when I was doing one of my degrees and uh, the, I did a master's degree in brain and mind sciences and we were there and we had this young lass in the class with me and we go into workshop, little workshop groups. And she was brilliant. She was, I would love to have her as my, uh, as my um, academic uh, theoretician because she could look at a, a case study of a paragraph or two and she could tick boxes and they were brilliant. I don't know, about six times out of 10, I would say, I don't know, I'm not sure about that. And I'd say, and she'd say, oh, Richard, why? Because I'm, I'm like, you know, 55 or something, 56 at that stage. I was, I was this old, annoying fella. 
And I'd say, look at the way he said those words, just those combination of words. That just doesn't fit. And I got to say to my to my great delight, I was I was right um, more often than not. You really used to annoy her. But it's this interesting thing that there is that humanistic element that comes from knowing about that creates the true attunement to your client and not an attunement to the DSM. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, your yeah. thoughts about the disorders and, you know, yes. What so once it bringing in here, well, we, we tried to bring in a broad scope again, like, like the whole, you know, book is, is fairly broad. Um, I wanted to bring in some, some other things, which you won't necessarily find uh, in the DSM and that's like autoimmune encephalitis um, part of the, that chapter. And, that's out of personal experience um, with uh, family members that have suffered autoimmune disorders, uh, which can manifest uh, very much as um, you know psychotic and psychological disorders. And our personal experience, you know, was going from one psychiatrist to another who treated the symptoms as if it was all in their head. And uh, actually, uh, after a long time, we discovered no, it wasn't. It was all in the immune system. Huh. And and so after gaining that awareness and finding some pretty profoundly amazing um, treatments to do with autoimmunity, not not their psychology, uh, I had a, a much greater awareness of what could be going on, uh, especially with um, psychotic type of uh, manifestations. And so that sort of thing, you know, we want our readers to be aware that you know what can manifest uh the dsm you know we'll, we'll just call it a a psychotic episode it's it's a it's a mental disorder not necessarily so yeah what causes mental disorders and and just because the simple terms i mean uh, matt's you know championed that that chapter but it's called pans or pandas which is a pediatric mm -hmm. uh, uh disorder and it actually is showing what happens when the immune system goes amok, uh, and particular from uh, as, as streptococcal uh, mm -hmm. uh, infections, and that immune system goes amok, and then you get immune markers going into the brain, and then the brain going, oh, my God, this is disastrous. I have to do all kinds of things to fix this. And and all these things are going up, but the emergent property, the thing that we see is things like uh, OCD behaviours and mm -hmm. uh, 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 schizoidal behaviours and delusional behaviours. And the whole thing comes back, and, and Matt's being too gentle, he literally stopped doing all the antipsychotic medications, which weren't having an effect, and uh, took antibiotics, and within 24 hours, the vast majority of the symptoms had come, had resolved and, and settled down to a manageable degree. And then there was continued work that needed to be done. But mm. who would have thought to take antibiotics for a psychotic, psychotic behaviour? Well, people who know about will think of that. Yeah. Yeah, certainly uh, you're making a good argument for uh, keeping an open mind and having a... a a broad knowledge of possible resources to go to and knowing that an awareness that uh, a thing may, a set of symptoms may superficially remind you 
of a whole theoretical structure, but in fact, it may be, as you say, an emergent property from something else, some other combination of ingredients. Yep, you also right. bravely go on in your next chapter to talk about what experts do, and that raises the whole hairy thing of, okay, let's point to some people who we think are just <laughs> really great therapists or great therapies, and somehow you managed to uh, make some choices there. What can, what can you tell us about those choices? I don't have the chapter in front of me. Yeah, so firstly, it was very difficult <laughs> because there, I mean. We have friends. <laughs> we well, have we have. We mentioned our friends. <laughs> we have friends, but there is so many different approaches mm -hmm. and techniques. And so we wanted to try and choose some things uh, that were sort of very broadly applicable uh, to what our psychotherapists and therapists will be will be dealing with. Um, and so things like memory reconsolidation, yes. uh, which I've been championing for many years, uh, the work of Bruce Ecker. Yeah, me too. And, um, and yes, I know you've had a number of people on your show over the years, and I think you've you've had Bruce on your show as well. Yes, yes, hmm. yeah, pretty early on, yeah. And that's I, one of these underlying um, theoretical positions. Well, th that just makes a whole lot of sense and is directly applicable uh, to talk therapy. Yeah, and we and we looked at uh, really the the most. Uh, the most, not so much most common, but those things that uh, therapists deal with most often. So anxiety, as Matt says, memory reconsolidation to understand the process, somatic work, uh, trauma work. Again, we trauma obviously needs to have quite a bit of attention and gets that yeah. in the book. And addiction. And who we chose, it, it well, we've been doing this for a while. So when we say friends, they're, they're like um, in anxiety, we spoke and utilised the work of Reed Wilson, uh, who I met initially as just sort of this one of these gods at the um, Evolution of Psychotherapy conference in, uh, in in America back things, and then but then he eventually became a friend simply because I kept going back. I suppose they they couldn't avoid me. But he is. I mean, his his website anxiety.com, I, I think like it's a million hits of hour or something, but it it's very well attended to. And of course, Pat Ogden and Peter Levine uh, in their, their work in somatics, uh, as you say, Bruce Ecker with uh, talking about memory consolidation. In trauma, we go we go around a lot of areas. We look at a few experts there. We look at brainwaves. We look at the autonomic nervous system. We look at chemical natures of it. We look at memory natures of it. And in addiction, actually, one of the best people in the world uh, that um, I got to know because I happened to have a conversation with a chap in Switzerland uh, about 10 or 12 years ago, a guy named Sharif Darwish in Alexandria in Egypt, who runs uh, uh, this, this most extraordinary uh, 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 centre for people in addiction in Egypt. And so his work, uh, we just highlight there because um, uh, we've, it gave us highlights that we think will be valuable for every therapist to show that we're not saying you just have to know all the technical stuff. No, you need to then put it in place. Now, this this um, part on addiction is very interesting too because we we combine that with uh, Oliver Morgan's work too on addiction. And, of course, and Ollie's work, yeah. 
uh, addiction and attachment, where both of these guys, you know, see addiction as an attachment disorder, which we thought is a fascinating take on addiction. Mm-hmm. So we don't necessarily go that much into like the molecular, you know, areas of addiction. It's much more relational. Yeah, that and- chapter is very much about that, about how it is applied and how they work with that. That's true. Yeah, that's what we wanted. And they, they gave it to us beautifully. And, and they've had amazing results as well, which is very important. You know, we have to, yeah. the efficacy is important. So we wanted to highlight that. And of course, your book does have plenty of references for anybody who wants to follow up on any of these topics mm. to kind of have a good jumping off place to uh, yeah. go go into a topic. I think I think there's six or 700 references. Some, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. Even we were surprised. We thought, oh. That's yeah. a lot, but, but it's, it's great. But it's written in a way that's not overwhelming. It's like it's not like that. All these references are in your face all the time. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's good. I'm pleased. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there's certainly yeah no end to the the launch pads for people that want to then dive in and know more. Right. Right. Mm. And then you've got. Um, a chapter looking at the future innovations for the 21st therapists. So as you guys look into your crystal balls, where do you see therapy going? Oh, wasn't this, this is my favorite chapter. Uh, <laughs> I think I, I've I been must... giving it to us already, but let's hear some bit, more. Cause, cause I do, do have a couple, but, but um, we were particularly interested in this idea of where where it's where it's going again, standing on the shoulders of giants. I mean, uh, Ernie Rossi, who's been a great innovator uh, for you know since the eighties. Uh, of course, he was he was working with Milton Erickson before him, who was also a great innovator in in, in where we go. So we talk uh, about uh, Ernest Rossi's descriptions of mind body uh, mind to body work. Uh, so that still is a process, a thing that is is becoming understood, because it just it defies the the reductionism of science. Uh, but when you, having read our book, you'll go, oh yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense now. We look at Scott Scott Miller's work, uh, working with the the yeah. need for therapists to to have. Uh, well, he, he to me he looks at uh, a deliberate practice and he looks at feedback. Which means to me that in order, because Scott's had to do all this work to bring this back into the frame, that means somewhere along the track it got taken out, because as an actor, deliberate practice and feedback was just a, just a natural part of our profession. You know, sure. you walked out on stage, the audience loved you or hated you, and at the end, the director gave you uh, lots of notes, and then you would go out. Uh, and and learn from life as you're sitting on the train watching somebody do something. And I think, why was that taken out of psychotherapy? And, of course, this was this reductionist science thing, this, this people taking ownership. Uh, and then we have a couple of things which I, uh, which I champion, which is curiosity. But as we've been working with this, that's developed more. There's more than just this investigative curiosity, as I say, curiosity for play. There's also curiosity for meaning. And that's the thing is where the creativity begins. The creativity doesn't begin with the extraction of information. The creativity begins when that information has meaningful relevance. Uh, and then it goes on, it, it off it goes in its own self-organized way. So that chapter, yeah. I hope, uh, 
uh, is just the beginning. And as Matt said, is springboards for other people to agree with and disagree with as well. You know, mm. it's yeah. fabulous. Uh, what can we create? How can we make this better? Yeah, absolutely. And can I just um, just shout out to uh, John Arden? Dr. John Arden has uh, written a forward to the book. Uh, and so, yeah, and I, I say, John. I think he's ahead of the curve in his approach to the 20, what we are calling the 21st century therapist, you know, yeah. that we, we have to know about a broad array of things. We have to be able to ask our clients, what's your diet like? What's your sleep? What are you, what's happening with sleep hygiene? You know, other lifestyle things, you know, physiological things, which talk therapists probably haven't been asking in the past because, well, that's someone else's specialty area. That's right. you know. we, we can isolate off. And his book, Mind, Brain, Gene, was, was a great mm. inspiration for, yeah. for yes. the way we put this together. Yeah. 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 Before he moved out of the state, he and I used to get together for lunch periodically. And uh, in a pivotal point of agreement between us was the sense that something was emerging mm. within the field of psychotherapy that was uh, that the old schools of thought that everything was organized around you were either a Freudian or you were a this or mm. a that, that there was a consensus beginning to emerge. And, uh, and yeah. I think I, his I, book and his chapter, you know, he brings that in in his chapter, in well, the introduction yeah, he, chapter too. He writes, about, yeah, he writes about that in the introduction where he, he just gives the example of a student that came in uh, to postgraduate work and, and the student was saying, oh, this is really great. It's wonderful to work with you, Dr. Arden, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to finding, you know, what my niche is, well, you know, what, where I want to specialise. And he just turned around and said, oh, don't do that. <laughs> but, of course, that's, you know, which, you know, rocked, rocked the, the, the last no end. But, um, but it is these... It's so exciting. Mm. When John comes out, we always try and, and catch up and, and have beer and beer and food. Uh, and I remember we had a dinner one time. We were sitting down, and the conversation just started to fly. It was yeah. we were in the Santa Fe Institute. We were talking about genetics. We were talking about quantum. We we're talking about this, and there was a table of a couple sitting next to us. And I said to John at the end, I said, "Those people either want to box our ears because we're so annoying, <laughs> or we should, or we should charge them for the free conference." I mean, it was, uh, but it, yeah. but it. When this information starts to become creatively expansive, rather than um, uh, rather than sort of overwhelming or even constraining, mm. then it becomes the joy. So know about, take this book, uh, stand on the edge of it, and spring off into places that <laughs> we haven't yet talked about. That's what we want. Uh, yeah, and yeah, and that's where you know our platform, the science of psychotherapy comes in uh, to its own where we've got a, this huge playground, if you like, where we can connect with one another, we can ask questions, we can provide answers, we can continue to explore uh, all of these really exciting areas um, mm. that, yeah, connect into psychotherapy. Hundreds of wonderful authors from all around the world that we've gathered over, over, over time and have gathered towards mm. us. We're, we're so fortunate. We're so fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you both are a good advertisement for the book, uh, and I want to thank you for sharing the wealth of your knowledge and learning. And uh, uh, so I think we'll wrap it up here today. So I want to thank you both for being my guests again on Shrink Wrap Radio. 
Thank you so much for having us, Dr. Dave. Uh, thank you. It was just wonderful. So much, so enjoyable. Love that. I believe my guests, Richard Hill and Matthew Dalitz, have made a substantial contribution in their new 2022 book, The Practitioner's Guide to the Science of Psychotherapy. Of course, I must confess to some bias right up front because I consider them my digital friends across the pond, even though we've never met in person. Among other mutually supportive exchanges, I've offered an online course on their web portal, thescienceofpsychotherapy.com, where I've also been listed as one of their associated experts. Basically, what they have created on that portal is access to their own podcast, an online magazine, educational films, and so much more. As a consequence of their interviews and personal connections with so many of today's leaders in neuroscience and psychotherapy, they've created not only a ton of relevant material on their website, but they've also learned an enormous amount themselves in that process. And they've also succeeded in organizing and condensing the essence of that material in their practitioner's guide. As they point out in our interview, their intention has been to provide a ready reference resource for mental health practitioners of every stripe, as well as medical professionals, and of course, anyone in the lay public interested in learning about the emerging science of psychotherapy. In our interview, you will have heard me praise them for daring to use the phrase, the science of psychotherapy, in the book's title. To me, they've dared to plant the flag like explorers of old claiming a new land, perhaps the first ones to do so. Not so long ago, that claim would have been considered outrageous and untenable, especially in traditional academic settings. In our discussion, Matt and Rich go to some length to describe the vision of science they subscribe to, as not reductionistic, holistic, imaginative, playful, and humanistic. To give you a sense of their writing, here's what they say about mental health in their introduction. Quote, when a client enters the therapy room for the first time, it's the beginning of a journey. At that moment, the journey is both shrouded in mystery and flush with possibility. The first step is for a beneficially effective relationship to emerge between client and therapist. The client brings with them their problems, resistance, resilience, natural capacities, life experience, and a hope that the therapist will be able to help them recover. The therapist welcomes the client into a safe space, making available their knowledge, experience, intuition, informed assessments, and a desire to do what is necessary to help the client find what they need to create a beneficial outcome. This is not an easy task for either party. The challenge for the therapist is knowing what to do, when, and why.
Close quote. About their book, they write, The explosion of information over the past few decades has produced bookshelves of excellent books, journals, and magazines that delve into the finer details of psychotherapy. It would take more than one lifetime to read them all. The purpose of this book is to provide a concise insight into a wide scope of topics related to the science of psychotherapy. We use the word science in its broader context, the knowledge of. This book is neither an encyclopedia nor encyclopedic. It is both a learning resource and a single volume in which you can explore a knowledge base rapidly and effectively. Close quote. The cases they present in the book are guided by three foundational principles. Quote, the client has natural capacities and resources, therapy is a co-created experience, and therapy functions in a complex system. Close quote. For myself, I heartily agree with their stance when they say, and I quote, all human beings have natural capacities to heal, natural capacities to learn, and natural capacities to access and engage the minds of others to deepen their own mind. Humans are a co-creative species. That is one of the prime principles that underpin this book, close quote. Now, the book is enlivened by ample case histories, including a consideration of multiple diagnostic choices for each. Furthermore, the dedicated student will find that there are plenty of up-to-date research references for further investigation. These are presented in a non-intrusive manner. So it should be clear that I strongly recommend The Practitioner's Guide to the Science of Psychotherapy by Richard Hill and Matthew Dollitz. I'm sure it will be reasonably priced, as is their very content-rich Science of Psychotherapy portal, which you can subscribe to for $99 annually or $12 a month. Dear Dr. Dave, dear Shrinkwrap radio listeners, hello from Istanbul, Turkey. My name is Yücel Ersoz, an avid listener of, of Shrinkwrap radio. Now, I'll continue to speak with my foreign accent. It's more difficult to understand, and that's a good thing. You'll have to pay more attention, and at the very end, I'll be talking about important stuff. I'm not a psychotherapist, I'm not a psychologist, not even a faculty member at a psychology department in a university. In fact, I've only taken a single course in psychology in my entire life, which was Psychology 102. And don't ask me what happened to Psychology 101. After I graduated, I picked up my first psychology book after I was 40, which was only a few years ago. For 20 years, I've done nothing that has to do with psychology. So why am I listening to Shrinkwrap Radio? Because Dr. Dave and his guests are helping me answer a very important question. How do I become the self that I truly am? To appreciate all the efforts that Dr. Dave puts in, I thought the least I could do was become a sponsor. And that's exactly what I did. Now, here's the important stuff that I said I would be talking about. Folks, please pick up your laptops, crunch in the numbers, and be a sponsor so we can continue to share the wisdom around the world. 
it will only take a minute, cost you less than your average dinner, and buy you more soul food than you can ever imagine. Thank you all. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you, dear knowledge seeker in Istanbul, Turkey. I hope others will be as inspired by you and your fine example as I am. And listener donations are always essential to keep the lights on and to keep my energy pumping. And with that, we'll shrink wrap it up once again. Thanks to my guests today, longtime digital friends Richard Hill and Matthew Dalitz, for discussing their very authoritative book, The Practitioner's Guide to the Science of Psychotherapy. Next week, my guest will be Brian Quinn, Ph.D., on what therapists need to know about bipolar depression. You may be surprised by some of the myths that he'll dispel about depression. So until then, this is Dr. Dave reminding you to be kind to yourselves and others. You've been shrink-wrapped by Dr. Dave. All the psychology you need to know, and just enough to make you dangerous.